Jason Wood here with another episode of the Armed and Ready podcast. We have an awesome guest today, financial advisor Rick Vaza. Come check it out. Hi, Jason Wood here, the VA Loan Guy and host of the Armed and Ready podcast. We have an awesome guest with us today, Rick Vaza from Driven Wealth Management. Rick, so glad to have you on the show, man. Appreciate it, Jason. Thanks for coming. Really excited to be on. So um, we thought we'd geek out a little bit today on some finances and money and kind of get into that a little bit. And um, in the spirit of our show, you know, we talk a lot about entrepreneurial entrepreneurialism. (laughs) (laughs) And and I I know that you, you made a move to be on your own too, so... Um, I just want to share with you know our audience and stuff um, a little bit of your experience sure. from the financial services side as a financial advisor and what you're seeing in the market, what, how you're advising people not only with just their retirement but you know their whole portfolio, you know, real estate and 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 just learn about your experience and kind of coming from you know the big conglomerate. Um, financial companies and then, you know, branching off onto your own, which has its own risks and rewards, right? Yeah, no, I, I appreciate that. And it's, it's, I think, interesting because there's so many different aspects of financial planning that translate both to the entrepreneur side and just the general financial planning side with our own personal finances. Right. And so one of the things that I always kind of preach with clients is you want a plan that's going to work in both up, down, and sideways markets. I think a lot of the times we just plan for up markets, which I think is really just hoping and wishful thinking, right? right. It's not really planning. Um, and so inevitably, you know, given the length we've had with the bull market that we're in, a lot of people keep asking, you know, are we due for a recession? And so I kind of come back to that where it's like, hey, even if we are, proper planning will prepare for that if it does happen, but it'll also allow you to participate in the upside if it doesn't. And so kind of going to the entrepreneur side, um, you know, the, the planner in me, right, as far as getting ready to launch the business, um, I think one of the things that was really helpful as I went through that experience was just making sure my numbers were right. And what I mean by that is so often I'll run into people and it's like, you know, great idea on paper, whether it's a product or a service, it sounds like it's something everyone would want. But when we actually look under the hood, like how many of those products would you need to sell in order to break even? How many would you need to sell then to actually pay yourself, right? Because a lot of the times when you're stepping into entrepreneurship, you might be foregoing a salary for a pretty long period of time. I mean, I would caution people, you really want a runway, maybe for three years would be very practical, right? Give yourself the amount of time necessary to build the business, build the brand, build the reputation, and really prepare for launch, right? And I don't think a lot of people do that. So I think one of the things that's great about properly planning is kind of getting your ducks in a row from the financial standpoint and making sure that you can answer a lot of those really important questions, right, when it comes to that. And not only will that ultimately prepare you, but then you'll be more confident when you do make that leap. Because now it's, hey, you know, I'm comfortable, I have a, a cushion set aside, a reserve, um, I've planned for this, you know, process. Right. And that just adds a whole different element to take off the stress. And, you know, any entrepreneur will attest to the highs and lows that come with entrepreneurship, sure. right? The highs are really high, the lows can be really low. And so anything you can do to help smooth out that ride, again, both, I think, with your personal finances or just preparing for entrepreneurship is really, really helpful. Yeah. So when somebody's making their business plan, I mean, I, I know you can get kind of analysis paralysis, they say, mm-hmm. right? And totally. where you can maybe overplan. So yes. um, how would you, I mean, recently making the move, how would you 
give advice to somebody who is looking to go out on their own? You know, maybe they're getting out of the military, maybe they're just tired of the corporate gig and, and they want to move out and, and do their own business. Um, and of course, all of us are, are told and we would learn that we need to create a business plan, which obviously you yeah. need to have a plan, right? Um, but how much goes into really like putting that plan together, sticking to it like glue, um, or, or being able to, to ebb and flow with it? What, what is your perspective there? I think building in flexibility of the plan is necessary, right? Because naturally there are going to be things that pop up that you want to be able to zig and zag as needed. But I think that being said, having some structure in place um, is going to set some parameters you're allowed to work within. And what I mean by that is ultimately, to your point, I've seen some people with 40-page business plans, right? Before they've even launched the business where they're already talking about office number two and state number three. Like, like they're so <laughs> far out where it's like, hey, let's make sure you're servicing your clients and, and, or selling your products, whatever line of business it is, most effectively and that you have a game plan in order to do that. And so I think some natural things that are kind of, you would think no-brainers, but a great place to start are understanding your target market. Like, who are they? Where are they? Right? Where are you going to find them? How are you going to market to them? Um, what do they want? Like, how are you giving them a wow experience? So if you can think about, like, the customer attraction standpoint and then the customer retention standpoint, right? So how do you attract them? Then how do you wow them? And then how do you do it profitably? Right. You've set yourself up for a pretty darn good business plan, right? With just those three simple things. Now, in going through those three things, you're going to inevitably know a lot about your market, right? You're going to know about your competitors. You're going to be able to start seeing what are they doing right? How am I differentiated? Right? And that's, I mean, I'm a perfect example, right? There's probably thousands of financial advisors that could, people could work with. So how are you differentiating? What's someone going to choose you over the other person down the street for, right? Yeah. I think having good answers to those questions are super helpful. And again, it's not to necessarily you're going to be handcuffed to that business plan, but having that structure in place is just going to bring confidence, right, as you're going through the interactions, knowing you've done your homework. You know the cost of operating. You know what it's going to cost you to launch the business. You know on a monthly basis how much is it going to cost you to operate. And you can start to think about what do I need to price my product or service at in order to going back to it break even. And ultimately, that's going to come full circle. So, I mean, having an idea of what the finances are, and that's, I think, such a critical, I know I'm the finance guy, but I think right. that is such a critical piece of the business plan because that pricing piece, I think, for all the entrepreneurs I meet with, that's one of the hardest things they figure out is what price should I be offering this product or service at? And when you can answer those questions, the break even, the when do I take a salary, you can basically back into your pricing, Right. Right. So it allows so much freedom and flexibility. And then you do have the opportunity to zig and zag as opportunities present themselves because you can come back to that and say, you know, does this fit into my model here? Can I still attract, serve, and be profitable? Right? And I think those things all come to, come to uh, again, come to uh, fruition together. Yeah, absolutely. Um, you, you were mentioning earlier, and I get this question a lot too, with um, you know, new home buyers that are looking to probably buy their first house usually, mm -hmm. and the word recession comes up. Yep. And... Um, so I think there's still a lot of lingering fear from the 2008-2009 Great Recession yep. that we had. And I think that there's a lot of misinformation about what a recession is on a technical basis, right? And I, I've explained that to a couple people in the past that we've actually, since 2008, we did have a recession. Mm -hmm. We had one in 2015, yeah, right? Yeah, most people don't talk about it. No one talks yeah. about that. But the in reason no one year. talks about it because, you know, we didn't lose... The, you know, the market didn't collapse. We didn't lose our homes and, and you know, all those things mm. were the, the great recession. And, and I often learn, correct me if I'm wrong, but that great recession had, had the government not stepped in and bailed out the financial sector that it could have been worse than the great depression. I mean, it was headed really far South and that, that kind of helped 
prop things up to keep it from getting that bad. But, um, but yeah, we had that entry year recession. So what are your thoughts on like a what's recession? So we can explain that to them. And then, um, you know, and, and how do you, how are you fielding that question when you get that? Yeah. I mean, the, the, I think you, you have to put a label on the recession, right? So for right. anything, it's just a very technical, technically 20% pullback in the market is what would technically qualify, right? As, as that, um, and that's so arbitrary, right? Like is 20 really that much worse than 19? Is it less worse than 21? It's, you just have to assign a number to something to right. some extent. Uh, but you brought up a few good points. And I think uh, even on top of that, a lot of us are quick to forget like 2010, 2011, there was constantly talk about the double dip recession, right? We thought we were going to fall right back into it. And so one of the things I always love to show um, clients or, or new potential clients that I'm working with who are concerned about that, um, and I, I might misquote this, but I think it's almost every year with the exception of 2017 since the bull market started, we've had some major media headline that for very valid reasons at the time made people think they should get out of the market. Right. And it's funny, we, we can laugh at it now. Like at one point it was Greece and Cyprus, these two tiny little European countries that, that we thought were going to go bankrupt and bankrupt the entire world, right? Like, right. which is now we can laugh at it. But at the time, those were major headlines back in like, I think it was like 2012, 2013. Um, and it's just like, we, we can laugh at it now, but like people were freaking out about that, right? And so as we think about all these different things that very in the moment felt like good reasons to get out and step out of there. Timing the market is so hard because you need to get two things right. You need to one, get out of the way at the perfect time. And then I would think even harder, you need to figure out when to get back in at the perfect time. Exactly. It's not like anyone waves some, you know, all clear sign or rings a bell or anything, right? It's often the times that are um, the darkest, so to speak, kind of the Batman reference, right? The darkest right. before the dawn yeah. um, is when it's like the best time to be buying. And, you know, what do you think is happening at that time? All of the news and headlines are awful, right? It's like, if anything, you're like, why would I want to put my money in there? But the contrary is kind of what you should be doing. So I think a lot of it is education, right? It's explaining that. It's, it's showing people those headlines. And, hey, do you remember when? Because you know, I think we all are guilty of suffering from recency bias where it feels like what just happened, a la the Great Recession, um, is going to happen again. So now when we think about recessions, that's obviously the most immediate example for most sure. of us. And we assume it'll be just like the last time. But in the scheme of our you know, you know, modern day industrial era, that's one of the worst recessions we've ever had as a nation. And you know, when you put it in that context, it's like, okay, we're probably overweighting how painful that was, right? Sure. Um, so I think a lot of it lies with that and that education component. And then kind of tying it back to the plan, it's like, hey, the real plan, again, is going to work in up, down, or sideways markets. And so you're connecting those two dots. And that usually helps people really un understand like, okay, you're right. I'm in this for the long term. And for the money that isn't in it for the long term, you need to make reserves and plan accordingly for that. But you can segregate the two. And that's a lot of what we ultimately do with clients to help them figure out what that should look like. Right. Yeah. And when I talk to people about it, too, I ask them kind of a similar question, right? Like, what is what's the plan? If you're going to if you're looking to buy a house and you're concerned about recession mm -hmm. or housing crisis or something like that, what's your plan with this home? Is the plan? Are you trying to time the market buy low, sell high? Mm -hmm. Or is this a place where you're going to move in and live and have a family and be there for a decade and a half or more, right? Because they have such different decision-making points to exactly. that, right? You know, if you're trying to time the market, then, then yeah, like you were saying, you got to be hedged against what if you mess up? Yeah. I mean, the and, consequences. Right? And then, and then how do you get there? Right. And mm -hmm. it's, it's almost impossible, right? You can never time a market at its very lowest and sell at its very highest. Exactly. I mean, 
even the best of the best, the Warren Buffetts of the world who are, you know, the most renowned investors, they still can't time it perfectly, right? And if anything, they usually advise against it. So it's like, follow that good advice. Exactly, right? right? (laughs) They're they're the best, man. So um, so how do you see um, the market performing? We've been on this bull run for a while, right? And, um, you know, the economy's doing great. Mm -hmm. And I'm sure you're seeing probably more more clients investing into their retirement into in the stock market and stuff and in, in my industry in the mortgage industry you know I follow that really closely mm-hmm. too because there's a couple indicators that affect me greatly which sure. is the the 10-year treasury yield and the mortgage backed securities market right and those those two indices impact mortgage interest rates mm-hmm. which have been at historic lows yeah. while the stock market is on fire so you know you guys get a lot of analysis and reports and things. So what are you seeing and, and how does that all kind of correlate together um, with the market and where do you see the bond market and mortgage-backed securities and, and interest rates? Like, where do you guys see that from the financial advisor side of the house? Yeah, I mean, when we look at things, there's so many kind of indicators that you can look at ultimately when it comes to the economy. But I think some of like the key ones that I always point to, um, you know, we are a consumer-based nation when it comes to our economy. So what I mean by that is like 70% of our GDP drives from us buying goods and services, right? So it's a pretty significant amount. So you want to typically look at the health of the consumer, right? So the good news is that a lot of people will point to wages are finally starting to tick up after such a significant period of really them doing nothing but going sideways. Um, So people are excited about that. Obviously, the jobs numbers are great. You know, um, unemployment's at an all-time low. So that continues to be a positive. Um, And so when you look at the health of the consumer, you know, even savings rates have increased, um, there's obviously some things that people will point to. I think auto loans and any sort of debt, you know, people will flag. But when you look at it relative to your point, the low rate environment we're in, you may be able to argue, hey, it's not the worst idea to be taking advantage of some of these low interest rates that are available, right? Sure. It's not like we're living in the 8% days that were fairly common pre-recession. So um, pros and cons, right? You got to weigh that. But when you look at the consumer, you look at capital spending of especially uh, private companies, right? So what's going on in the private sector um, still looks pretty healthy. I think people would always love to see more reinvesting going back into companies. Um, that's one of the things that you'll probably see, especially around politics, get brought up quite a bit. So just something for your viewers to know. Um, government spending is a big one that you're obviously going to be typically looking at. Um, is the government supporting economy or you know, being an obstacle in its way? I think most would say that it's supporting it right now, so sure. it would be pretty favorable. And then the last one is uh, real estate. So specifically, new, um, and this won't be news to you, but specifically new home purchases. And why new home purchases as opposed to existing purchases is existing purchases are really just a brokerage commission right? that goes through it. Sure. There's not a lot of actual economic driving activity that happens there. But think of everything that goes into a new development, right? All of the jobs that are created, all of the labor, all of the supplies, there's a lot that goes into that. So when you're looking at real estate as a driver of the economy, it, there is a lot that kind of supports that. And naturally, you know, there's a, a lot of positive momentum that goes with that. So, you know, when we think of those four things, so again, consumer, private investment from our, our largest companies, the government and real estate, you would have to say most of them are trending still fairly positively, right? Right. Um, so I kind of bring people to that. It's like, hey, let's not try and make you know political decisions. Let's not try and make knee-jerk decisions based on the media. Let's kind of look at the data and, and figure out what's being supported. And I would imagine that's very similar to what you're seeing in, in the market, right? Yeah. No, that's good advice. Um, I heard on another <laughs> podcast uh, they were talking about politics a little bit, and they said, you know, never never make your, your decisions on what you're going to, Watch on TV 
who you're going to hang out with or what you're going to buy based on how you vote. Yep, yep, right? exactly. Because the two are so different from each other, right? And and if you go with the way you vote, you can oftentimes be putting yourself in a worse yeah. situation. Oftentimes, yeah. Yeah. So, um, yeah, that's really sage advice. Um, so, driven wealth management. I love the name. Like, that just, it sounds so powerful, right? And, <laughs> I appreciate and, and moving that. forward. Yeah. So, tell me a little bit about your company and, you know, what's so, what's so great about working with you and, and, you know, what really sets you apart from a competition, like you mentioned, I mean, there's tons of financial advisors, there's tons of mortgage guys yeah, out there, absolutely. right? You know, so what differentiates you and, and your company from the others out there? Well, it's, it's part of the reason I was so excited to join your podcast, because a lot of it is really about like how you say armed and ready, right? It's, it's a kind of that motivated, driven professional. So for me, it's that driven person who's really looking to take control of their financial future, right? There's a lot of people who um, you know, maybe that's just not a priority. So it's kind of signaling, hey, this is who we want to work with as the people who are kind of getting after it and looking to make that decision and, and need a little help along the way. Um, who I've tended to work with primarily are more entrepreneurs, business owners. Um, I'm very fortunate that I have uh, two important designations. Uh, so the CFA designation is more analytical. Mm -hmm. So I like to help business owners really with their financial statements, kind of dig in, figure out what's going on with profitability. Where are the leaks? Where are the opportunities that we can reinvest in to really maximize the return on that investment? Um, so that's like a really big differentiator just to start is that I kind of like nerding out, so to speak, on yeah. that end yeah. of things. Um, but then I also have the certified financial planner designation. So it's like, okay, let's make sure that the business is doing really well but let's also make sure we don't have tunnel vision and that we're capturing a lot of that value on your personal balance sheet. So that's where I'll help with the personal finances and really make sure there's no blind spots, that they're you know, effectively growing and preserving wealth ultimately is the long-term objective. So I try to differentiate in a sense of that's kind of where I gravitate towards who I'm working with and providing a different level of value that you know, traditionally a lot of advisors just aren't going to be able to provide. That's awesome. Yeah, and I've I've heard just from friends who are in the same industry that that CFA designation is not something that's easy to get. So <laughs> kudos to you for getting that because that is, from what I understand, probably the hardest financial designation to achieve. I was lucky. I, I actually really enjoyed learning it. So um, although my social life took a bit of a hit, I'm um, sure. Yeah, <laughs> uh, I, I was lucky and also had a very supportive uh, significant other who was kind of a good motivator through the process. That's good. That's good. That's a big thing to have. Um, so. We, we see people's personal finances all the time, right? And, um, you know, the one thing that I see, and I deal with a lot of military clients, and, you know, the one thing that I see is um, big car payments. Yeah, absolutely. That's, that's something big, you know, and a lot of times, you know, we'll get, we'll get folks in the military who get their re-enlistment bonus, and they'll, you know, they'll go buy a Camaro and get some more tattoos. And it's, so, you know, from, from an advisory standpoint, you know, I try to explain to them, you know, what those dollars are valued at in, in mortgage dollars, right? Yeah. You know, $500 a month car payment really equates to about a hundred thousand dollars in home financing, mm. which is a really big, big thing, right? You know, you could sacrifice having the cool truck and maybe be that much closer to having the house that you want. I love that you point that out too, because that's like you're putting it in a very visual context of like this is what you're missing out on. Yeah. Um, how do you how do you find they typically respond to that? Are they receptive to it? Um, I think Americans in general we love our cars, did, right? Yeah. And and being an absolute car nut myself, <laughs> I get the emotional tug yeah. that that has and probably the kind of the smack in the jaw that you feel when sure. you hear that from me. Um, but the reality is, um, you know, the, the vehicle is just going to depreciate. Mm -hmm. It's not winning any cool points when you pull on the base or you pull in the parking <laughs> lot at work because yep. you're not in the car all day long. So no one even knows who it is, right? Yeah. It's sitting in the sun getting hot. Mm. And... Um, 
you know, the home is something, A, you need a place to live no matter what, mm -hmm. right? So you got to have a home. Um, and then it's something that appreciates over time. And then there's obviously there's some tax benefit too to having a mortgage and stuff and mm -hmm. owning a home. So it's, it's a more intelligent way to be spending that money. And a lot of times it's, it's received with a little bit of a gulp. Like, yeah. you know, like people get it. Like they understand like, shoot, I know I've got this thing. It's going down in value. I'd be smart if I did that. Right. And so then, then we have a conversation around it. That's right? awesome. Is, is, you know, you, you really could sell that vehicle and even if you broke even on it or even if you lost a thousand bucks on it, um, sell that vehicle and go buy some just rinky dink little thousand twelve hundred dollar yep. vehicle so that your finances are now getting you in shape to purchase mm -hmm. and go get the home. And then, after, and, yeah. then, and then after you've had some time to let a new mortgage payment settle in and you've readjusted your personal budget, if having that really that Camaro or that really awesome truck is something that you just can't live without and being a car guy, I get yeah, it. Yeah. Like sometimes you just have to have the awesome <laughs> car, right? I totally understand. But buy the house first because yeah. that's going to set you up for a greater future than the coolest car on the planet because the coolest car on the planet still losing money. That makes sense. Yeah. Yeah, that's uh, it's, and it's funny you bring up the car because um, so I'm part of the Financial Planning Association and uh, we do uh, pro bono work. Actually, our, our past president, uh, Stephen, has been an amazing um, ambassador for uh, his connection. Uh, he's a former Marine, so he kind of leads a group up to uh, Camp Pendleton and do pro bono um, planning. And it's funny, that's one of the things that typically comes up fairly frequently is the car payment. So it's, it's nice that you brought that up because I've definitely seen it firsthand. Um, a tip maybe for, for viewers and listeners um, that I think has been really powerful in helping behaviorally, uh, I think, flex some great muscles to help with that savings, and this will be really relevant to, to your listeners on the real estate side, is nickname your accounts. So when you have savings accounts, there's huge benefits. Any type of behavioral tricks you can do with your finances is always going to benefit you in the long run. And I always kind of think of it this way. If you log into your account right now, let's say you have three major goals. Popular ones I tend to see are, number one, definitely a down payment. Right. Uh, number two probably is like student loans um, in some cases, or just let's say travel. Travel is a good one. Um, and number three, let's say, is um, uh, college planning. Those are, those are some popular ones that I tend to get. So let's use those three. Travel, down payment, college planning. Okay. You log into your account right now. It's one savings account. Um, all three of those goals have very specific numbers related to you obtaining them, right? So maybe it's $100,000 for the down payment. Maybe it's $4,000 for the travel account. Maybe it's $20,000 for college planning, right? They're very specific, very attainable goals that you know if you've hit them or not. When you log into that single account and you just see a big slush fund of money that's sitting in that savings account, you now have to do mental math to figure out, like, am I on track? Like, where does this one go, right? You're creating a, a, an obstacle that your brain then has to get over. So most institutions will allow you to do this. There's no extra charge to it. But you can literally create separate savings accounts for each of those goals and label them. That's where it gets really important, right? Oh, okay. So literally label it the down payment account. Now think of psychologically when you log into that account and you have, like, you've envisioned the house of your dreams, right? The one that they've talked to you about buying and they're really excited about um, it has a purpose, right? There's, it's visually there. It's meaningful. You log into that account and there's like 20 grand in it and you know you need 100,000. What type of difference in behavior are you going to have, right? Every time you log it's into huge. that, right? Yeah, it's, it, it creates a very powerful stimulus and your weekend spending changes, right? Maybe you find a little side you know, gig that you can do to pick up a little extra income. There's all types of things now that you start reframing it as, hey, I'm not giving this up, but I'm moving myself towards that. 
And we found that to just be so powerful and impactful, this kind of little mindset shift that makes a huge difference. That's really, really big. I've never, I've never heard of that. But just thinking about my own login to my own account, I'm thinking, wow, that makes so much sense. I mean, it would totally, it's a total behavior change because now yep. you think of, well, I can't spend it. It's, it's earmarked for this. Exactly. And I haven't even hit the goal yet. Yep. So I can't touch that. You know, like, I totally get it. That's, that's yeah. really good advice. Yeah, I mean, every time you're spending, you're directly impacting that particular goal. And if it is as important as you say it is, you're going to start reframing the things that you do on a regular basis to make it happen. Man, that's awesome. That's awesome. So um, I wanted to talk to you a little bit about personal stuff. So you moved out here from the East Coast. Yes. Um, which is a big move. <laughs> and then started your own company. Yeah. So um, I imagine that there was plenty of analysis and stuff in all of your decisions. And uh, I know you're doing well. So it, there has been. Um, but you're having your, your first child here coming yes. up pretty soon. In May. In May. That's exciting. And um, Building your life in, in San Diego when everyone's on in the northeast corner of the country, right? Yeah, I definitely miss a lot of people, but uh, especially these last couple of months when I'm sending them photos about being outside and the weather and really kind of rubbing it in, trying to encourage them to move out here. Um, it's it's an amazing place. I mean, I don't think anyone could argue that, right? Yeah, not at all. And um, well, I also wanted to just give a really quick shout out to um, to Urge Gastro Pub in San yeah. Marcos um, for letting us set up shop here and film. Um, if, if you it's guys have if you haven't been here, this place is cool. I mean, great food, um, awesome bar, and then they have this mini bowling alley right behind us, which is super fun. So, great place to bring the family or, or have like an office event or something like that. And um, and Rick, I want to just thank you for making the trek up here to North County. Oh no, glad and, to get up here. Yeah, and spending some time with us. We get to check out this really cool restaurant. And um, congrats on the on the new baby on the way and, and the new business and everything man it's been an absolute pleasure uh, having you on the show well buddy. thank you and this is an awesome show like i said i've been really enjoying listening to the episodes and providing a lot of value so i'm honored to be on here and hopefully the viewers took some good nuggets away i think so some great stuff here thanks again appreciate it thanks for stopping by today's armed and ready podcast stay tuned every friday for a new episode we want to give a special thanks to rick vaza for coming out today and sharing his knowledge with us if you have any questions please go online to valoanguy.us